Watching the Wireless, a podcast about radio with Jamie Dyer. This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of the Watching the Wireless podcast. And today I'm joined by all-round audio guy Steve Randall, um, whose name will be familiar to many listeners in parts of the country for many different reasons. And uh, thank you for joining us today, Steve. And uh, I'll start with the the toughest thing. Because of all the news that's going on at the moment um, with regards to commercial radio, prior to the changeover um, not so long ago, you were on Spire FM. How did you first find out that that was going to be a change, that there, there was going to be a change there? Oh, yeah. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast, Jamie. Um, I think I had an inkling, as many people did in radio, that this was the way that things were going to go. Um, I left Ocean FM on the South Coast in 2009, shortly before it became Heart. And so the the rollout of national brands was already well established by that point. So I think anybody in radio at that time and since has always had that idea that even some of the best performing and well established stations could eventually be part of one network or another. And although Salisbury, where Spire FM is, is uh, in a way it's an island on the mainland because you know there's nothing really that serves the Salisbury area particularly. I mean, there are Southampton stations to the south, which maybe will occasionally reference Salisbury, but the Wiltshire-based stations are sort of over the other side of Wiltshire, more sort of Swindon area, so they don't really deal with Salisbury in any meaningful way. So I suppose there could have been a, a sense that, well, surely Spire FM will be fine because it's doing a job not dissimilar in a way to how stations on the Isle of Wight are doing, for example, and have always done. But I think the the smart money was always going to be that we're going to be part of a network at some point. I think the only question mark was how that network might look. You know, were they going to go down a route of uh, regionalization, which is what they have done with their local shows. So there's a regional show now on Spire FM and, and goodness knows how many other stations that became Greatest Hits Radio, or were they going to keep it more local and maybe have still a local breakfast show or a you know and, and drive time show? Nobody really knew, but as it got closer to the rollout of Greatest Hits Radio, obviously it became more apparent that no, these stations would all become Greatest Hits Radio, would have a regional drive time show, and everything else would be part of the network. Yeah, I mean the thing was, and I think a lot of local listeners don't realise this, is that Spire was already part of a network of UKRD stations, including um, my former local station, Spirit FM, in Chichester. Yeah, I mean, that's right. They UKRD famously didn't embrace networking as such. Um, although all the stations shared certain resources, um, which obviously made sense. So, for example, um, commercial airtime was not done in-house at each radio station. It was done centrally, and then those uh, those ad logs um, were pushed out to all the individual stations. So, I mean, that's a cost-saving, and it makes sense for any business. Music, as well, was centrally scheduled. So there were those elements of being part of a network, the sort of, 
I suppose, back office functions were part of the network, but individual stations very much did their own thing. And I don't think uh, there were any programs that were shared. They didn't have the capability to do live networking, for example, but even sharing programs, you know, sending them out to stations for them to put into their own playout system. That didn't happen either on a regular basis with UKRD. So they were quite keen that stations maintain their own individuality and were to an extent autonomous. So it it was, you know, a big shift, I suppose, for stations in the UKRD group. Um, whereas for Celador, for example, one of the other groups in the South that, that became Greatest Hits Radio or largely became Greatest Hits Radio, there was already a huge amount of networking there anyway. So not such a big shift. Since um, coming off of Spire and uh, just kind of, um, I would imagine you were kind of just thinking like like a lot of professionals thinking about what you were going to do next. And one thing that is surprising, but not very surprising, is that you've taken a trip into podcasting. Yeah, I mean, that kind of has been going on a bit longer. That sort of predates my time at, at Spire. I I was working um, originally at Andover Sound, actually, when I left Ocean 10 years ago or so. I joined a small radio station in Hampshire called Andover Sound. Uh, initially, uh, I was doing that alongside my Ocean job. Um, and then I took over as program controller and... Uh, took over the breakfast show. And so that became my full-time thing when I left uh, Ocean before that became Heart. Um, and Andover Sound then became part of Celador and the Breeze Network. And when I left there in 2014, having been the regional program manager for Thames Valley and also doing the breakfast show originally and then moving to Drive, I I had that moment for probably six months or so where I thought, that's it, I'm done with radio. Um, I was offered various cover shifts. Spire, in fact, you know, offered me some cover shifts. And I, I did, I think, one or two shows on Reading 107, for anyone who remembers that station. But I just felt, no, I've done my radio career now. I'm going to do something else. And I set up my company, Communication Generation. We started doing um, mainly written stuff, actually, at that time, because 2014 podcasting hadn't come back in any meaningful way it was starting to but not massively so originally it was written content and then the podcasting thing started to take off um you know after a delay of, of almost 15 years from when it was originally launched and we started getting clients who were asking about podcasting because they knew of my background in radio and that's where i moved into it really i started doing a podcast at the time um a couple of podcasts, then three or four podcasts, some of which are still going, some of which are not. And it just seemed the logical thing as podcasting grew as a business marketing tool and a client, uh, customer and uh, an employee engagement tool to really embrace that and to use my radio background, my radio skills to do that more. So that's where we are now. And we still do some of the, the written content, but very much the audio podcasting uh, element of the business is is where most of the of the new business is coming from now because podcasting has absolutely exploded and speaking from a personal point of view i started podcasting in 2014 and maybe did a month a couple of months and it was okay but it hadn't quite formed into the beast that it has now become as you quite rightly say yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's weird because i 
first got interested in podcasting in I think 2005 or thereabouts because I you know I've always kept up with with technology to some degree particularly if it's anything to do with with radio and and media and I heard about this thing called podcasting and I tried it and at the time I was doing uh, as as part of the shows that I was doing at Ocean I was doing some fairly regular paranormal shows and I thought well maybe I'll put that stuff out as podcasts which I did and I put it on you had to put it on iTunes in those days and uh, you know it was quite a clunky way of of doing it but I put it out there and I think within the first few weeks there weren't really many listeners and I thought well this clearly isn't anything really what a shame and disappeared off and then years later probably five years later I logged back onto my iTunes account for something and saw that there'd been thousands of listens of these episodes. I think there are only about three episodes of a show called Strange Encounters. Um, thousands of people had downloaded them. And I thought, oh, okay. So maybe podcasting could be something, but it still doesn't seem like it is at the moment. So I left it at that. Um, you know, I left it at that and and just uh, forgot about podcasting, got on with my radio work. And it's only, as you say, in recent years that, it's come back in any meaningful way and it really looks like it's here to stay now yeah i think um i do think you're you're right there and i know that um there are probably some broadcasters out there that have worked for some of these stations that have now been rebranded that might find it quite daunting to jump from one medium to another because obviously with podcasting um you don't have in most cases music in between the tracks and uh, in between um in between voice tracks and you don't have um some of the commercialism that comes with working in commercial radio um although spotify have just created this new thing which you tried out didn't you i did yeah i think they've got a little bit of work to do on it to make it uh, perhaps what we would consider to be a viable alternative to radio. And I can see that there are clearly reasons behind that. For anybody who hasn't tried it, what you'll get when you publish, and you have to you have to produce your podcast through Anchor, uh, which, which is a Spotify company these days, uh, and then push it out to, to Spotify. What happens, though, is it not, it's not too bad when you go into the song. So you can intro a song, and the song will come in pretty type after you stop speaking uh, as long as your your voice track uh, is is sort of tightly uh, top and tailed but at the end that's where you have a real problem unless you choose songs that have really really cold endings you probably can't get any version of slickness because if you imagine listening to a song on Spotify it'll fade pretty much right out before your next track will play if you're listening to a Spotify playlist, for example. That functionality hasn't been improved by this shows thing that they've they've rolled out. So the song will fade out and then there might be a, a, a silence for a, a second or two before your next voice track comes in. And obviously, they've had to do uh, a deal with the record companies to allow this. Record companies don't really like anything else trampling over their songs apart from in radio where it's it's kind of an accepted practice so i don't know whether they will ever upgrade this functionality to make it more radio like i think the record companies will resist anything where you can drag your link your your bit of speech over the end of one of their artist songs 
So it's always going to be a little clunky, I think. I think so. And and one thing that I found, um, certainly from listening to your test broadcast, as it were, if we're going to use that terminology for it, is that without Spotify Premium, you could only listen to 30 seconds of the track. So you're there going, well, here's Huey Lewis and the Power of Love. And it's playing me the verse. And just before it gets to the chorus where it says the power of love, in comes you with there's the Huey Lewis and the power of love. And it's like, but I've not, I've only heard a little bit, which I found quite disappointing. And that's something which has, and, and the thing to, to point out here is that Anchor, certainly as long as I became aware of, of the Anchor platform for doing podcasts, um, Anchor have had that functionality since the, since certainly since I first was aware of it. So if you had an Anchor account and other people were listening in uh, on Anchor and they had their Spotify premium connected, they would hear the whole song. And if you didn't, they would only hear the 30 seconds. In a, in a, a way, this has taken a step back for anybody who likes to use the Anchor platform because you can no longer, for example, embed an Anchor player on your website which will include those clips of songs. They've taken that away. I suspect that Anchor will just become Spotify at some point, and it, it, it'll, you know, the, the name will disappear simply because what they've se- seemingly done is made it so that if you want to use music in your podcast, you have to listen to it on Spotify. If you want to embed something, it would have to be the Spotify player that you embedded rather than the Anchor one. So it, it's. I think it, I think they just want to really create a buzz around the Spotify podcasting capabilities. They've also, uh, as part of this, Anchor no longer offers you the chance to connect Apple Music, which was the thing with Anchor. It's only Spotify now. And I think they're basically saying, hey, look, this is something that you can't do if you publish to Apple Podcasts, publish on Spotify, and you get all this extra functionality, albeit clunky as i say yeah they've really taken a step up um with their emergence into um just podcasting in general because um there are now exclusive podcasts on spotify to talk about your your podcasting um without giving away any figures because we all know that those are very precious how successful are you currently measuring your your podcasts if i'm being honest the podcast that i do as me and that uh that is content that my company puts out as itself does okay but where the real successes are are the ones that we do for clients so that's where it's important to remember and this is a general point across any form of content creation is that it's very difficult to build an audience from nothing. It's not impossible. Of course it's possible. But realistically, if you want to build an audience, you're either going to need to spend a lot of money, and that means things like Facebook ads and, and you know various other platforms, you know Google ads, and really get your name out there. Ideally, you also want people who are sharing uh, your podcast on their social media who have big audiences already. That's where the real challenge is for podcasting. Getting discovered as, you know, just a person is tricky, 
you need to use other ways of building up that that audience and you know there's a, a very famous phrase um you know about build it and they will come and actually of course they won't you you've got to work hard to promote your podcast so actually working with the clients i work with some of whom have uh you know teams of 3 4 5000 people there's an audience there and so those podcasts have been very successful the other thing i would say though is even if your podcast is only getting a handful of listeners i always say put that into the context of doing a live speaking gig so if you were inviting people along to listen to you talk for 20 minutes would you be able to get 10 20 possibly even 5 you know whatever it may be could you get those people to to go to a a room a venue and listen to you speak for 20 minutes every week probably not for most of us and yet if you've got that relatively low level of podcast listenership you're doing the same thing if you're trying to inform or engage or you know build your own profile your own authority um so don't be disillusioned by small numbers no that's a very positive way of looking at it and it's funny actually um when i look at my own personal kind of forays into podcasting it's normally the most niche ones that are actually the most successful so although the numbers aren't they're not in their thousands you know some people they they ask me beforehand how many listeners does your podcast get and you give them the number and you can tell that they're thinking of like celebrity ones um, because they're the ones that mainly kind of get that mass audience but in the context of the thing you you do feel quite positive about it it's a very positive way of looking at it and certainly word of mouth is a very good way of uh, of getting the the message across you've hit on something really important there the whole niche thing because what's happened with podcasting certainly in the last couple of years is that big money has has gone into the space so even five years ago some of the big radio production companies and and in fact television production companies film production companies music uh, companies you know all of these people they wouldn't have been interested in podcasting it would have been just small fry. Some of their people may have done it. So you might have had an executive or somebody working in uh, part of a radio station or part of a, a music publishing company or whatever would do a podcast and that may get some interest. But there wasn't enough money in podcasting or enough listeners, not always about the money, but not enough interest, I suppose, in podcasts for big names to do it. Since then, and in recent years, it's just grown and grown and grown. You mentioned, you know, the sort of the big deals that that Spotify are doing. Because there's so much money there, it it does make it more difficult for the hobby podcaster or the small business podcaster to really get in there. Because, I mean, we've always had an issue in this country, which America, for example, and Australia don't have, in the, the BBC have been very, very, um, you know, heavy participants in podcasting since sort of the mid noughties that you know they have stuck with it um and other organizations like the guardian have done a lot of podcasts since then and continue to stick with it so we've always had a little bit of a battle with some of the big organizations but since they've seen the capabilities for building an audience and in some cases making money that has just got uh, you know worse for the small podcaster 
because you're now competing against people who sometimes are are spending crazy amounts of money either acquiring podcasts or promoting podcasts and and once they've got a few hits and they do tend to use celebrities so there are some big big uh, players in the UK podcast uh, production world like something else for example you know they have a string of successful podcasts they only need one or two and then promote the others within that to grow a whole network of them so it it, it is quite tricky uh, to compete with that unfortunately it it is but like we said you have to look at it within the context and uh, it sounds like your your clients i'm i'm not sure like what what kind of clients are they are they businesses charities or just like um or something else it, it's it's a it's a, a range really and um you know we work with some people who are business consultants or health and well-being consultants and they are literally you know one person operating their business and we also work with a couple of um, of global companies um both uh, their uk and ireland divisions and also um sometimes not all the time but sometimes we work with their global headquarters as well so it does vary and what they are all looking for is somebody who knows how they can create a podcast that sounds professional and this is something which i'm quite passionate about is that the podcasting space works best when i mean yes the the niche thing is important so if you're providing information that literally nobody else is providing because it's not commercially viable so the big boys aren't going to get involved um but it's stuff that there's a sizable audience particularly on a global basis that want to know about it and i mean it could be i mean we're sitting here both sort of with with radio setups you could probably do a podcast about faders and for anybody who doesn't doesn't know a lot about right you know that's the volume controls we use you could literally do a podcast about faders and there would be an audience for it on a on a global level that would give you a decent number of people um but the 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 thing there is that you've got to have that niche but you've also got to have a, a very engaged audience and uh, you know people who are interested in 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 what you're doing yes i think that is i think i completely lost my train of thought there as to what my original point was i got stuck on the niche thing but uh, no, yeah. you made you made that point really eloquently, and uh, I, I shall move us on from podcasting because I feel that both of us could probably uh, talk about this for a long <laughs> period of time. And I know that th- this podcast is called it's, it's watching the wireless, a podcast about radio. But thing is, podcasting encompasses like everything now, and, and radio encompasses podcasting. It's it's all the same family, as it were, because. Well, the first time I heard about podcasting was when Chris Moyles used to do his Best of Moyles podcast for the Mm -hmm. BBC. Um, So, you know, it's been around for a long time. Now, normally what I ask on this podcast of any guests that I have is that I I know that um, you might work in the audio industry but a lot of a lot of people look around as well. They see what else is out there. They take a listen to things and and they they check things out. So, Steve Randall, what are you listening to? Oh, interesting one. Well, I, I've just remembered the point I was going to make, and I can tie it into this now. <laughs> uh, so, I like podcasts and audio that sounds professional. I think you know it's easy to say 
and I know we've kind of moved it on from podcasting, but it's easy to say, you know, a podcast can sound rough and ready. You can record it in your bathroom. It doesn't matter if the sound quality is rubbish. I disagree with that because I think we've all grown up listening to the radio and radio has certain standards in terms of the way things are delivered, um, you know, both the way they're said or or, or the, the format of a show, but also the technical quality. And if you don't reach that threshold, it won't put everybody off. And particularly if you're really giving them something they can't get anywhere else, they might be tolerant of, of poor sound quality. But generally, people like to hear things that are of a professional standard. So I like to listen to things that are of that standard. In terms of pure radio, I listen to absolute radio a lot. Um, I listen to greatest hits radio a lot. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I did go through a phase of listening to LBC and to talk radio to some degree, but I've become very, very bored with the talk radio genre in this country because, you know, you've got, you've got talk radio that are kind of, you know, as much as they can do it within the Ofcom rules, they're pushing a sort of a right wing agenda. You've got LBC, which is very caller based. And, you know, I love callers. I think callers are great on the radio. But when you're talking about the big topics, Brexit, coronavirus, you know, whatever it may be, there's only a certain level that people have in terms of the knowledge that they're going to impart on a phone call. And if you're relying on that for hours on end, it's going to get a bit dull because you're just hearing one person come on saying one thing and then someone else is going to come on and argue a different point. You don't actually get any further forward. So music radio is where I'm at at the moment. And, it, you know, whether it's coincidence or whether it's the design, I would suggest it's possible the latter, possibly the latter. I listen to a lot of Bauer because I think Greatest Hits Radio Okay, so I lost my Spire FM show when they took over Spire FM. I'm not bitter about that at all. That's absolutely fine. And I think that the last hour of Pat Sharp's show, which would have been the first hour of my Spire show, and the three hours that Janice Long does after that, which would have been the other bits of my Spire FM Saturday afternoon show, are better than what I was doing. So there you go. Uh, happy for that to be the case. Um, Dave Berry's breakfast show, I think, on Absolute, is one of the best breakfast shows around at the moment. Although Chris Evans is also good, but I tend to catch up with his stuff as a podcast. Um, Radio 2, I still listen to. I mean, who doesn't listen to Popmaster at, at 10.30 every weekday morning? I mean, you, you just have to. Steve Wright occasionally I'll listen to as well. And then for podcasts, there are things like the uh, the excellent podcast. I mean, because I work with words, whether it's writing or podcasting or radio, um, I love the Something Rhymes with Purple podcast that um, Giles Brandreth and, and Susie Dent do. I like the, uh, um, what else? Oh, there's the the, the fish podcast, the QI podcast. Um, no such thing as a fish. Great podcast. Really, really entertaining. Um, and also Jay Rayner's podcast, Out to Lunch, which is really good. They, you know, get some superb guests on that. So I, I listen to a lot of stuff, as you can imagine. Oh, there are so many choices out there. <laughs> and it's, it's funny since um, speech radio as a format, I'm so used to calling it talk radio because I deal with a lot of people in America and talk radio is just 
talk radio. But sp- it's the genre, yeah. yes, whereas here it's something quite specific. But speech radio is like my specialist subject. It's something I absolutely love. So to hear someone say they're kind of bored with it, are you bored with kind of the news in general? That's part of it, yeah. certainly. I think the, the problem, and, I, and I'm not going to blame the operators for this, we have in this country um, some wonderful radio stations. I think people are used to listening to music radio stations in in this country more than perhaps the Americans who, you know, in, in many markets in America, a talk station will be the number one station. We have never really had that outside of London and, and some of the other big cities. So we're not ingrained with that talk radio thing. Um and because of that, we haven't been able perhaps to expand what that talk radio genre is. So even the, uh, obviously the original talk radio, which is now talk sport for people who follow their licenses around, but also when talk radio came back under the wireless group, um, those stations were not news talk stations. They weren't phone-ins about current affairs. You had people like John Holmes on there, you know, and and Ian Lee, and you had stuff that was non-news talk, which I think is wonderful. I wish we could expand that. I know there are pockets of it. Radio 4, for example, you know, well known for their drama. Sport is obviously well ca- uh, catered for in this country. Um, and there are sort of online things like FUBAR Radio that has a lot of comedians on and things that are doing stuff that isn't purely i mean it's not purely speech either because they do play music but i just think that we could have speech-based radio that is not news but it's i think it's just it's expensive to do that's the problem any form of talk done well is very expensive to do and i think some of these operators have tried it they haven't got the big audiences and so they've gone ah let's do what lbc are doing because they're doing good stuff at the moment it almost that that sentence almost doesn't make sense because you think well music radio you've got to pay for the licenses you know there are other costs but speech surely it's just talking and that shouldn't cost money should it it shouldn't but actually to tie that into music radio music radio in this country has suffered from a lack of investment they haven't invested in news uh, ironically for music radio but people find that important so you know for example the local radio stations they are all networks largely now because they didn't give a point of difference what they got down to a few years ago was radio stations that played three or four songs in a row had a presenter that was allowed to talk for 20 seconds then some ads and then lots more songs again so those presenters on speech radio and i uh, sorry on music radio and i count myself in that you know i didn't get well paid for what i was doing at spire i was doing one show a week and that that was absolutely fine but it was at the point where i wouldn't do a whole week of cover shifts because the money wasn't good enough it wasn't worth doing and that has been a problem i'm not saying that the people doing music radio were not good but not all of them were so yes there were some good people who were trying to survive on not great money And then there were people who weren't very good who were getting the same money. And that has been a problem. So music radio should have been more expensive 
than it has been because they should have been paying really good people to do their best work and not get to a situation where the good people were having to do eight-hour shifts in terms of turning up at a radio station, doing their show, and then you know doing some other job in the radio station. That should not have been the case in radio. Now, there's lots of economic stuff that you could look at. I, you know, I think that adverts have been, you know, not charged high enough. You know, there's all kinds of stuff we could go into there. But if you take that idea that music radio presenters should have been paid more because they were doing good things, if they'd been allowed to, speech radio presenters, by their very nature, are the main thing on the station. So they tend to be people who are well paid because they're doing something which is, you know, they're doing the job of the music and everything and they're stringing it all together and they're dealing with the callers. So it's expensive to to run a speech radio station like that. That is just that because there are so many stations out there. I, I go to look at um, so-called speech stations and it kind of disappoints me when I click on one and they're playing music. That always disappoints me slightly. Yeah. But the thing is, I mean, I know you've done sort of drama productions and, and you know, you know the work that that takes. You know, you've got, I mean, when you do a music show, you put some songs on and you talk in between the songs. Even if you're on a station which allows you to do longer links and basically to have a free reign, you know, you are providing the content out of your own head and out of your own mouth. If you're doing drama, for example, Unless you're super, super talented, you're probably involving other people to some degree. So you've got writers, you've got actors, you might have somebody who's doing the 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 uh, the sort of soundscaping of the whole thing and ma- making it sound right and putting in all the effect. You know, there's a lot of elements to it. Even if you could do it all yourself, it's going to take you a considerable amount of time to do. And time for most people is money. So drama's expensive to do. Comedy again to do well, you're probably going to need a team of people doing it, and and even if you could say to some of the best presenters, uh, best comedians rather, we would like you to be a presenter. You know, Frank Skinner, for example, and Jason Manford do shows on Absolute. They, they're great, but they're not going to do the comedy that they would do if they were going to a theatre and doing their comedy because. They can charge 50 quid, 60 quid, 70 quid, 100 quid, sometimes a ticket for that. So why would they give it away free on the radio? So there's all these challenges to speech radio. I think possibly the way forward is for people to take more chances on new entrants to the business. So if you take the idea of a comedy show, for example, Instead of looking for an established comedian who's going to want a huge amount of money and and probably isn't going to give you their best content on air, um, look for those people who are starting out. Look for those people who want that platform and give them the platform on a radio station to help the station build an audience, but at the same time, they're growing their own audience. Yeah, I, that that is certainly something that um, I think many station managers and people involved in the radio industry should um, certainly pay attention to. Give, give someone a chance, you know? I think because um, a lot of those opportunities are dwindling now, sadly, which, funnily enough, this is where we came in with the, with the podcasting. That could... Um, overtake that um 
Well, I'd, I think we should probably draw this to a close because a little bit like with the podcasting, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, on um, on this particular subject. Um, Steve, give, give a little plug for one of your podcasts that you're currently doing. Okay, so uh, hmm, which one shall I plug? I do one. The main one I do at the moment is called Share Your Difference. And the idea of that is um, that it's for uh, largely for business owners and entrepreneurs to help them to stand out from the crowd. But it's also, there are some really good takeaways there for anybody, because I think we're living in a world where being able to stand out from the crowd is is important. The, the podcast is called Share Your Difference for a reason, because I think we're all different, and I think we should celebrate that. And thank goodness we're getting to a stage where diversity is becoming more of a thing, you know, and, and people are accepting that we are not all the same. Um, and that's a, that's a really, really important thing. And I think, uh, you know, for businesses and individuals being able to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to fit in with everybody else. I'm not going to say the same things that everybody else says. I'm going to stand up for something. These are my values. This is what I do. This is why I'm doing it different. And why, if you like what I do, maybe you'll work with me. If you don't fine, that's what the podcast is all about. So that would be the one I'd plug at the moment, Share Your Difference, which you can find at shareyourdifference.com. Excellent. Well, hopefully lots of people will go and check that out. And thank you very much, Steve, for appearing on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Watching the Wireless with Jamie Dyer.